Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And I'm Jess Archer. And welcome to episode 115 of the North Meet Southwear podcast. I think Jess has the funnest name to say in an Australian accent. Jess Archer. Here's what's embarrassing. I was actually walking downstairs getting ready to record and I said out loud, hey, I'm Jess Archer. Because I thought I was like... <laughs> Because <laughs> I thought it was going to be so funny to hear it myself saying it out loud. And then I was like, wait a second. I, I don't sound very good at this. And Michael and Jess have mm. both confirmed I have a really bad Australian accent. So my apologies. But uh, I just thought it was hilarious. Hey, and I have to like... I, I, have to I don't know and, what that is, but it's not an Australian accent. Yeah, I have to overcompensate because I'm the only American. And I'm the only one mm. in the... Let's see. Am I in the West, Western Hemisphere, right? On this show. I've got two Aussies in the down under. I'm the only one in the northern <laughs> typical, hemisphere. Typical American, typical American thinking that he's the Western Hemisphere, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know what hemisphere well, I'm in. Doesn't, I'm in, doesn't I'm the in hemisphere the... literally only be north and south? Like, is it? Yeah. I don't know. Is, is it there? What is there? Is a Western? There's got to be Western, isn't there's there? There's no Western Hemisphere. The Hemisphere I know, is like I know, the, it's like the half line around but the like middle. Where, no, it's, isn't it divided along like the... the there's like another line. It's like the Prime Meridian or yeah, something. Yeah, it's called the International Date Line. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like, yeah, there's the, the you know, where Greenwich is, whatever that one is. But um, yeah, there's, there's the International I mean, Date Line and that's about it, really. The podcast is literally North meets South. That's true. So I, like I, it's North yep, and South. I thought like, about that afterwards. Yeah, I'm the only one in the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere repre- representing here. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know, make up for it. I'm sure you well, guys... Well, it's usually the other round. It's usually the other way around. It's usually two True. of you Northerners and just me. Yep. And indeed, yeah, Jess, yep. uh, the other Jess, Jesse Leet, Jess e. was on our very first episode of the Vim Throwdown. And then we were lonely last episode, just me and Michael again. And now this time we have Jess Acha. So, Jess, thanks for coming on the Jess show. Acha. You're very welcome. Yeah, you are, a, uh, you are also a Vim master. And I don't want to actually do your introduction, so I'm going to let you do your own introduction. Jess, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? For people who don't know who you are, give us a quick intro. For people who don't know who I am, I'm a full stack developer, um, obviously working with like Laravel, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I can also share that I am now a going to be a Laravel employee. No. Hey. <laughs> what? Awesome. That's awesome. So yeah. I've been given the go-ahead to tweet about it. I haven't tweeted about it yet, but I will probably tweet before this episode comes out. But maybe not. Maybe you'll hear it here first. You heard it here maybe. first. Um, hey, maybe. we heard it here first. So that's what's important. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's right. Yep. That's awesome. Fantastic. That's good news. Uh, we should talk about yeah. that for a bit before we, we jump should. into the Absolutely Vim stuff. Absolutely, we should. Yeah, let's let's hear about sure. it. So what's the, what's the position? What's the, what's the pitch? So basically the way taylor kind of put it was um i'll be helping out with like laravel r&d oh cool so research and development skunk works kind of stuff uh on the open source side of things and then also helping out a bit with forge and doing a little bit of support stuff for forge as well because he likes to kind of share the load of support amongst everyone so and i also think it's important to do things like support to actually Mm -hmm. talk to the users because how else are you gonna make the software better if you don't actually talk to the people using it that's a great point that's right yeah that's pretty cool too because I know Taylor sort of is on that side of things as well, right? So it's not that he's the only one on that side of things. It seems like all of the members of the Laravel team are sort of on the R and D side of things, right? You think of like Nuno, and he's really pushing yeah. like the Laristan stuff, and he's like the CLI guy, and um, you know he's got Pest that he kind of created. And then uh, this seems like an interesting spot for you, just because I know you know one of the things I know you're really interested in is 
Well, I think I, I think like learning new things with uh, that whole deal. What's that YouTuber guy that you got featured on his channel? Mark oh, Rober? Mark Rober. Yeah, Mark Rober. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like so you love like tinkering and playing with new things and like learning new stuff. And so that seems like a really, really cool fit for you. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been doing a lot of like frameworky type stuff at my current job. So I feel like my mind is in the right space to mm-hmm. be building stuff for developers. So yeah. That's excellent. That's Congratulations. Cool. Way to go. Nicely Thank done. You. Absolutely. Um, cool. And when, when do you start? Uh, I think like April 18th. Mm-hmm. um there's still a few yeah, weeks so once my like my notice period is up where i'm at it's now like three weeks. i'm gonna mm-hmm. basically start the next week yeah, yeah. so um awesome. and also does that make you the first official female employee of laravel yes i believe so i mean it depends are if you, you saying include... they've got an unofficial female employee well abigail well there's but also um uh, what's is it tatiana that does the release mm-hmm. notes ah, true. all that yep. sort of stuff like yeah yeah i mean i don't think she's like officially an employee mm-hmm. but right she, I reckon she is. I don't know. I don't know. But it's close. It's close. Anyway, it's, it's good. It's cool. And Abigail would, yeah. Abigail would be employee number one in my in my brain. You know, she's yeah. she's yeah. co-founder. I suppose. Yeah. 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 Twofer. You've got, a, you've got a female and an Australian. So yes, watch out. Absolutely, yeah. we're coming for you. Yeah. Oh, that's and a Vimmer as well. And a Vimmer. Absolutely. Well, I wonder, mm-hmm. is there any other Vimmers on the team? I'm curious. I think that most people probably are familiar with Vim, but I don't yeah. know if there's anyone that that's like their main. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah not full time. I, I know that I know that Nuno like dips in and out every now and sure. then. Um, and I've spoken to him about Vim a bit now and then, but um, yeah, I don't think there's any. I think they're mostly Sublime users. Uh, yeah. Justin, also, I do have a uh, recommendation for you right out of the box if you want to hear it. Here we go. Okay, yeah, are you ready? Sure. Lay it, lay it on me. <laughs> All right. So database backups in Forge. Are amazing. They're great. I love them. Mm-hmm. Use them. Uh, we pay for the business plan so we can have all our backups and they work awesome almost all the time. However, um, two beefs. Number one, if I have multiple databases on a server and yeah. I add a new database, it would be really nice if it was able to just say, add that to the backups. Now, I know that like that's sort of like an implicit like acceptance of something that you may not want to back up, or maybe it's just like a test thing that you're throwing on there or something. Uh, although I yeah. would probably suggest separating your staging from your production. But uh, in any case, right, for me, that is something that I've made that mistake before, where I go in and I, I created a new application and I threw it onto that same box because we just have this massive box that's managed by Forge, but it's actually internal. It's like this 32 gigabyte memory, you know, 16 processors, insane server. And so we've got like all of our applications running on that and all the databases back up. Great. But when I add a new application, if I forget to add that to the backups, it doesn't get included in the backups, of course. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I asked James Brooks, I was like, is there an option to just say back up all the databases? And he's like, no, there isn't. There's not a way to do that right now. So that would be one cool thing. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, The other cool thing would be like you have the ability right now to do a backup with like retention periods, but yeah, you cannot say. So like if I if I, there's a possibility I could have two backup jobs running at the same time, right? If I have like daily okay. backups and then I have weekly backups and then I have monthly backups mm-hmm. and then I have yearly backups. And the reason I have these different backups is actually only because of a different retention period. That's the only reason I want, right? I actually back up yep. my databases every single hour, all of them. Back them up every hour. But I have to have different jobs that run because I want to have different retentions on those on those backups. You know what I mean? 
Now, yeah, I'm backing yep. them up every hour, but inevitably, if I'm going to back up for a weekly backup once a week on Mondays, it's going to it's going to hit on one of those hours when I'm already doing an hourly backup anyway, right? This is a hard problem to solve. Yes. It's not super simple, but there was another product that we used before we switched over to Forge that did this for us, which would basically just say, run the backups every hour and then just handle the retention outside of that, right? Yeah. Which was interesting. So you want like, you want like you the hourly ones up. for a day, the daily ones for a week, the weekly you got ones it. for a month, That's the monthly exactly ones right. for a year, and the yearly ones for 10 yeah, years. So, so what are the monthly ones months. actually doing when they back up? It's just doing the same as an hourly That's one? That's exactly right. The only difference is that you yeah, have okay. to do that so that you can set a custom retention on that particular backup, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, it just gets, you know, you only have hourly backups for seven days, you know, and then mm-hmm. after the yeah. hourly backups are gone, which they get deleted with the retention. You, you wouldn't have anything anymore after that unless you also set up a weekly backup, which is you know every seven days and last, that lasts for six weeks. And then you have monthly backups, which are once a month, but they last for three months or whatever it is, you know? So you can't yeah. specify the offset when the backups run. That's correct. So you can't say like run the hourly ones at zero and the Well, you the could. No, 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 you at... could. I'm sorry, you could do that. But I guess what I'm saying is it seems redundant, if you will. Like I'm already doing the mm. hourly backups always. Mm. Yeah. So I could just specify. So you just want to use one of the hourly ones as also a daily and maybe a weekly it. if it happens to run at midnight or whatever. You yeah. Because on occasion I'll have this one that runs at 11 o'clock and like that's like the magic hour when they overlap and that one ends up failing. Yep. You know what I mean? Once a week. Like there's a couple jobs that run at 11 o'clock or something and it just like blows up and I get a report in an email like, hey, it stopped. So I could probably. Is that because of like a database lock or something? Re- well, yeah, maybe it's because it's trying to write both of them out at the same time or something. It's trying to dump them out at the same time. I'm not exactly sure, but it fails. And I get an email like okay. only at 11 o'clock. So it's like something weird. Anyway, those are two ideas right off the bat for you. Nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about today. But I just thought those are cool ideas just to put in your little, no, in your well, little bag. I Yeah, I'm grateful to be able to go in with some stuff in my little mm-hmm. bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a few ideas of my own, but yeah. I like those ones. Okay, cool. Yeah, and excellent. I, yeah, we um we do some of that with our AWS backups on other stuff, but um anyway, they've got they've got an interesting setup on on AWS if you're interested in researching some of that. They've got some cool stuff set up there. Sounds sounds to me like you just need RDS which has point in time snapshot recovery. You know, we Done. used RDS and it was okay, but the latency was killer. Uh we would have had to set up like a point to point or something like that to reduce the latency and it was just not worth it at that point. So anyway, Really? Really, yes. That's surprising, considering that like AWS sh- has a pop near you. So I'm surprised I suppose, that the I suppose if I had my box in AWS and I was also using RDS, it would probably mm. make sense. Oh, yeah, because you're going on-site to off-site. Yeah. You got it. Exactly right. Yeah. Yep. So. Oh, well, it sounds like a you problem. It is It is me problem, but we've got it solved, <laughs> so it's fine. Okay. Um, yep. One other thing real quick before we get into the Vim goodness, Okay. I apologize to everybody who's out there listening. So far, it's been technical in nature, so I'm not going to apologize that much. Here comes the non-technical. <laughs> Have you guys heard of this show called Severance? Yes. No. Apple Apple TV Plus. Yeah. Show called Severance. I've uh, I've heard about it. I've been I've been. A friend of mine keeps recommending it to me, and I said I don't have time for all of these. You shows. don't. You not have time I, I, for this show. I've I've heard that it's good. I've seen like some clips and stuff, mm-hmm. and it it seems like my kind of weird. But, it is um, very cool. Maybe I'll make some time for it. I don't know. Halo, what, the Halo the series just started. So I started watching that. Oh, cool. And, yeah. Um, a lot more violent than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Ooh. All right. I'll have what's, to start What's the premise that. of Severance? Okay. So Severance is 
you don't really know necessarily why sort of my assumption is that the type of work that they're doing is so sensitive in nature that they don't want them to be able to talk about it outside of work. So let's just say that's the premise. Okay. It could also be like a work-life balance thing, right? But the idea is that they insert this microchip into your brain. And when you go to work, that microchip is activated. And what it does is it severs your memories so that any memories that you have from outside of work are completely inaccessible to you. And the only memories that you have access to are the memories that you've made inside of work, inside of the building, right? So you can operate as a normal human inside of work, but the only things that you know are things that happened at work. And then the same is true when you leave work. When you leave work, that microchip is turned off. And now the only memories that you have access to are memories from outside of work. So here's the trippy part, right? When That's not the trippy part? That is trippy, <laughs> but here's, here's why it's a little bit weirder, weirder. As a person who is from the outside going to work, you get to work. And the last thing you remember is going into the doors. That's your last memory. And your next memory is leaving the building. You don't ever go to work, right? Mm. You're just living outside of work because your memory is basically yeah. stopped. The person on the inside, their first memory is walking in the building and their last memory is walking out. And then the next thing they know, they're back in the building. They never leave work. Oh, that sucks for that person. Right? <laughs> right? Mm. So they actually have the Audi, which is the person on the outside, and the Innie, which is the person on the inside. That's the, it's, like, it's almost like they're different people. Um, do they know? Do, do like they do. the individuals know that? Okay. They, they, yeah. so they, they opt in. To this procedure this okay. is something that they volunteer for um, so but they it, have they have memory of the procedure and they have well they the person on the outside going does. to work that the person on the outside right. has memory of the procedure but the person oh, on the inside has i see no, where this becomes a thing yeah there's some then the person that goes to leave work never never leaves mm, so there's some are they just constantly confused no they know they, they know like, what's happening okay. but they don't really have a choice in it because yeah all they have to do is that i mean you know their person from the outside chose to show up to work again because yeah they have no memory of what happened at work so you can understand how it it creates some really interesting moral dilemmas as well as some really creepy and there's also all sorts of creepy stuff going on too so Uh, and you have no idea what they do on the inside and neither do they they're not sure what they're doing so it adds this whole right. other layer of like lost right. sort of, you know, ask. You, you've sold it to me. It's amazing. I'm watching. You it's really, watch. really good. Right. That right. does sound like my kind so of So what I'm trying to do I'm, is I'll I'm watch it tonight. trying to figure out what I could do to add to this universe because it's actually sort of undersold. I don't feel like there's a lot of people into it yet. It's not massively popular, but there are some people mm. who are okay. doing some cool stuff. So like Lumen is the name of the company they're working for. So there's a Lumen.industries that somebody just made, which is like a website. But like it's in its infancy. Yep. These sorts of things are not out there yet. So it's like I want to like jump on that bandwagon and get in there before other people do because I think it could be really fun. So anyway. Okay. Christopher Walken's in this. It, he right, is. I mean. And it's Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller is the director, which is crazy because you think of him as like the comedy guy. But this is like his brainchild, mm. I guess. It's really amazing. So interesting. All right. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm, I, I'm, I will digress. Watch. I'm sorry. I'm sold. Sorry. Sorry, Jess Hacha. I know this is not why you're here, but maybe... Oh, there are only seven right, episodes in. All right, that's not a big commitment to catch up. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it is why you're here. You know, it's actually... It's nice to have you on the show. It's it's nice to have another another person on the show every once in a while. So thanks for yeah. thanks for enduring my, my chatter. Michael usually has to do it all alone. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> um, I normally listen to it anyway, so, but normally at like, you know, one and a half sure, speed. So. Sure, exactly. <laughs> 
Okay, well, should we catch up from where we talked about uh, so far? So really, in the first show, Jesse and Michael walked me through what Vim is. Some of it gave me a history lesson. Uh, we sort of landed on NeoVim as being the new hotness. Uh, and so, Jess, are you on the NeoVim train? I am on the NeoVim okay. train, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get too far into it, I would love to hear about your Vim story. Have you always been a Vim user? You know, Did you start out using Vim? How did you land on Vim? Have you used other editors? What's your sort of Vim journey been like? So I started off doing a lot of like Linux servery sorts of things and was using like Nano and Pico and all these. And I had a friend that used Vim and I just thought it looked like the coolest thing in the world. Uh, so that was kind of what got me into it. Um, then I became a web developer and was, you know, coding in Vim. And it took me quite a few years to actually use Vim properly, like use the text objects and motions and all this sort of stuff, like use the language it provides. I pretty much for like the first year, I reckon I was like insert mode, arrow keys, escape mm-hmm. and save mm-hmm. kind of person. And it wasn't until I discovered, like Michael was saying in a previous episode, the language that Vim gives you mm. to describe the changes you want to make to a document. And the the three concepts of uh, of motions, text objects and commands and the way you combine those together. And so, yeah, I kind of have been using Vim for most of my development career i switched to sublime for maybe like a year and then went back to vim so that's really cool um you mentioned motions which i understand i think yep commands which i so i i get like emotions are like the you know moving around the keyboard or moving around your texts uh with different you know j k l 5j 5j or gg capital g whatever top bottom whatever is that what you mean completely by motions? Am I missing anything? Yeah. So it's so yeah. So a motion is like wherever your cursor is, if you do a motion key, it will effectively move your cursor to the end of the word or the start of the word or um the you know the next double quote. So it's it's a movement kind of operation. And so mm-hmm. if you combine that with a command or an operation, you can say delete until the end of the word. Mm-hmm. So it'll go from your cursor position and you can say DW and that will delete until the end of the word memory i find it hard sometimes to remember like what the letters are because it's all muscle memory now yeah Yeah. it's like trying to explain to somebody how to add two numbers you're like i mean i just know kind of how it works intuitively and then you have to figure (laughs) out like when you've got kids we're like how do you add two and five like what do you how do you you know what i mean it's just weird because you don't have to think about it most of the time i'm I'm not looking forward to that stage (laughs) of like having to teach that kind of stuff because you really and and we talk about it you know as developers and as you know people looking to mentor or teach or put out you know, video in the world that the best time to try and teach mm-hmm. is when you're learning it yourself because that's when it's fresh and when it's most obvious to make it click. Whereas yep. to to go back now as someone who like knows this stuff to then try and teach it to a beginner, you like you you forget how much you know as just implied knowledge. And so it gets really tricky to to sort of come back to that and and start from scratch. So, you know, you might find yourself now teaching sort of more high level concepts and and more advanced things and and so on and so forth but because you're learning it for the first time it's easier to kind of teach it Mm -hmm. as a you know even though it is an advanced topic so yeah yeah, i I get that so you had said that that covers motions and commands right so motion is like it moves you around command is it does something the one other thing you mentioned is uh text objects what do you what do you mean by that exactly so Are you familiar yet with like you can do DW, but then you can do DIW? Uh, delete inward. And the difference between that? Yeah. Hmm. So IW is a text object. So it doesn't, um, it's not around, it's not about moving your cursor. It's around referring to a whole object. Hmm. So if you're in the middle of a word 
and you do DIW, it's basically going to delete the whole word you're in, no matter where your cursor is inside there. Nice. And so motions and text objects, they can kind of feel very similar, but I think it's like, for me at least, it's been key to kind of see them as different things because one of them's kind of, yeah, just moving the cursor, whereas the other one is operating on a concept, a sentence, a paragraph, inside quotes, inside parentheses, all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Was there a way to say like delete um, the entire lot, the entire sentence or, or paragraph like you had mentioned? Like when you said like, like is a yeah, paragraph there's a text object object? For paragraph. Okay. What it- yeah, so uh, you've got AP and IP. So like, and the A versus the I is to me like the mnemonic is around versus in. So if I say uh, delete in word, it kind of deletes only the word. Whereas if I say delete A, like D-A-W, it's delete around the word. So it'll also take the a spaces space and stuff. Okay. after it. Interesting. And if you're talking about um, one that's got like quotes, so it's got some right. com- both yep. sides. If I say D-I single quote, it'll delete everything inside the single quotes. Whereas if I say D-A single quote, it'll delete everything including, including the, the single quotes. So mm-hmm. it's like around Oh, it. that's so cool. Okay, that's helpful. And so you've got paragraphs, you've got IP and AP. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of text objects and they all kind of follow that same I versus A. Yeah. And what, what delineates a paragraph? Like what is it in line return? Is that what it is? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. typically if, the, if there's a break between things and that's handy. Even I, I find myself doing a lot with visual selections where you could do, you know, VI, P, and then you can like use semicolon to repeat that sort of thing and it'll go to the next paragraph so you could pick up blocks of code Um, so if you're if you're inside like a function block and you want to visually select some lines to then extract the method or extract a a, uh, expression or something like that you can use that to repeat operation you can use comma to then go back to the previous one if you've highlighted too many times and things like that so it makes it really quick and easy and this is you know where we keep coming back to like vim is a text editor and so it's all about being as quick and efficient as possible to edit text so these kinds of things coupled with the add-ons and the plugins and things like that to make it a fully fledged ID is just what makes it for, for mine a much quicker, a much uh, more fluent environment for, for writing code regularly. Um, yeah. So that's that's super interesting, Michael, because like when you say the VIP and then um, you say semicolon, that's almost like multi-cursor selection. It's almost it's almost mm. what it feels like to me, right? If I select something yeah. in Sublime or in P- and then I press Command D, it's like select the next instance of that, the right? And one. then you said comma yeah. goes back one. It's like okay, well I, I did too mm-hmm. many, go back one. Um, yeah, which is interesting. And then can you like change all those at the same time? Like I did VIP and then uh, so th- semicolon, I mean, semicolon, semicolon, yeah, semicolon, I mean, that, and then this is more for for selection. I think for for changing things, the it's, it's actually something Jesse taught me recently. Actually, is when you're doing um, changing text and things like that. You can do like colon S and then you slash and then whatever you're finding and then slash what you're replacing with. And then if you go slash G, that will replace it yes. globally yeah, yeah, yeah. within the buffer. But if you go slash GC, then you'll ask to confirm. Yes, so right. there, there are situations where like I've I've got ID. I did this the other day, actually. I had ID and I needed to change the ID property to ID method call but not every single instance of it. So doing like the string replace slash GC meant that I could go through one by one in that file and say, I need to do that one. Yes, 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 no, no, yes, no, you know, through that whole file. So it gives you the ability to kind of selectively do that. Yeah. Um, where I think with with multi-curses, it's just like next, next, next. Right, and right. You've got to kind of bunch them all up. You can't sort of say, no, I don't want this one. I want the next one kind of thing. Yeah, you can't, correct. So, you know, there's there's that kind of thing where... You know, you're taking the different bits and pieces, and again, you're you're always stringing them together 
to to you know work on your text objects or to work on whatever you're working on um i find like with with tests you know i might want to grab i want to create a new test so you know i've got a, a snippet that gives me the te- the test block and then i can go to a previous test and do like yi opening brace and that'll grab the whole block from inside yank in function yank in brace yeah yep. oh, nice. um, grab that whole lot go down to the new method and hit you know p and that'll paste that whole lot rather than sort of like grabbing the whole lot and then having to rename the test and things like that. Could you say um, like paste in brackets, P-I bracket? Or like what would you do? Try it. P? I suppose you can. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't really. I guess if you did Y-A bracket, that would yank including the bracket, right? It would, yeah, including yes. the bracket. So you could just do like public function, you know, it does the thing and then without putting the braces yeah, in sense. and then just hit P I and, gotcha. it'll, and it'll, you know, drop it all in there. So I gotcha, that makes sense. Um, I guess you could. I, I've never... I don't see why it wouldn't work. I've never done it myself, but um, yeah. It'll probably just not replace what's in there. It'll probably like maybe add to it. I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, that brings me to my next question, which is I do have other, I, I have like prepared things I want to talk about, but this is just so interesting. I want to just follow some of this. Um, <laughs> and now I just lost it. What was it? Darn it all. <laughs> nope. It's gone. It'll come back to me. It's okay. Oh, no, no, no. I remember what it was. Sorry. Okay. So, you know, you guys have accrued a lot of this knowledge over your career as developers. Like, is this something, you know, is this sort of the format that you typically pick up most of your knowledge in is in these sorts of conversations where you're just like chatting with somebody on Twitter and they say, oh, I've got this thing I built actually. You say, oh, that's pretty cool. I've, I I didn't know about that. And then you pull in this library or you pull in this little plugin and like, okay, now I've added the new tool to my arsenal. Or has it been that, you know, there's a particular resource that you've found or is it just like you read articles and you're just part of the community. So you pick up these little tips and tricks or... Um, you know, was there some training that you did? What what was it that for you, where did you gain most of your knowledge from? Because it seems like for the vast majority of the people who are uh, who would maybe be talking about this, you all sort of have this base level knowledge of here's how mm-hmm. these particular things work. And then there are additions that you guys all have that you've added to, to your own sort of repertoire, if you will. But you all sort of have this base understanding of like YIP, YAP. Like you kind of get that, right? And um, I'm just mm-hmm. curious where you pick, like where you learned that from. So for me, it was primarily YouTube videos, I would say. So Ben Orenstein, um, who oh, yeah. founded Drupal, he did a lot of Vim videos. Uh, Thoughtbot had like Vim meetups for ages and they recorded them all. So they've had, you know, Chris Toomey, all these sorts of people doing different talks about subjects so there is a video i think that's like vim as a language mm. yeah so i can i can find like a bunch of video links if we want to want to share them but for me that's kind of been what it, it's all been youtube videos yeah yes i think i think the thoughtbot videos the stuff that that chris Timmy put out and that ben orenstein put out you know way back those those are sort of some of the the original influences i think for me um you know coming into the, the social side of of programming where I picked up a lot of stuff. There's also more recently uh, TJ DeVries and and the Primogen have got a lot of really good high energy content. That's sort of <laughs> like it's. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anyone as excited about anything as as the Primogen is about Vim. And so it's it's infectious yep. if you're like really looking to 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 learn about Vim. But the the sort of the baseline stuff, the the motions and the objects and all of that is like. I, I've said this before in this like this mini series that those are the things that you must learn. Yeah, that's where to, I'm at. Right? To be effective with Vim, and once you master those things, anything is possible in terms of 
plugins that you install or, you know, rabbit holes that you go down looking for things, uh, especially now, like this little community that we have of, of Vimmers, it's like, I've done this thing. And, and you'll often have someone say, you know, that's cool. Here's another approach to, to doing that. And perhaps a more efficient one. Like I said the other day that I, I would typically use the, the file explorer to, to get to a directory where I want. And then if the directory doesn't exist, I'll create the directory and then create a new file inside that directory because using colon E to do that doesn't work. But then Jesse pipes up and goes, well, actually, here's a plugin that Jess created that, that <laughs> does all that for you. That like it figures out, okay, this directory doesn't exist. So we need to create the directory and then create the file in it. And so, you know, all this kind of stuff, it's yeah. like sharing it in the open. The, the Vim community, uh, outwardly, you know, you might think whatever you think of, of Vimmers, but the Vim users, we're, you know, always sharing, always like helping each other out just to sort of like get people, not up to speed, but to sort of help them along their journey, I guess. Yeah. 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 And we've got a good community of like Laravel Vimmers mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. kind of like focused on doing PHP Laravel and, you know, the associated languages around that. Yeah. I'm sure there's other communities for other languages, but there is kind of like a niche for a specific language in Vim. Um, and yeah, the Laravel Vim community is awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So because here's here's kind of like what I feel like is I feel like with PHP Storm and really with a lot of these other ones, like you you kind of get the house to start with. And then mm-hmm. you get your theme, which is like you're picking up the wallpaper and the curtains and stuff, right? And I feel like I tried to strip back down because I realized that like Vim is a whole different beast, right? Like you don't get the house, like you get the blueprints maybe, right? But you got to mm-hmm. build the foundation first, right? And I'm, I'm falling prey to this temptation of like, oh, wouldn't this, wouldn't this wallpaper look great in this room? And like, I'm picking out the wallpaper and the curtains and it's like, I still haven't built the walls, man. Like I've got like, yeah. I have got <laughs> to like figure out what the heck I'm doing to even be effective in moving around this thing before mm-hmm. I start like, oh, let's talk about window management and like, how do I switch between <laughs> projects really quickly? And so on these episodes, it feels like, you know, I have a thing I want to talk about, but we get five minutes into it and I'm talking about movements again. And it's like, you know, because they're so interesting. I'm like, oh, that's a cool trick. I don't know that. But for you guys, that's all yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is this is basics. Like, And so, unfortunately, I feel like even into this show, I, and, and maybe this will be helpful for some other people. Maybe we'll put in the show notes some of these videos that Jess and Michael have talked about just to say like, okay, if you're where I am, point back to this. And like, I've still got some homework to do, right? Now, I do have some questions that I can ask. But I think recognize that the questions I uh, that I'm going to be asking are probably a bit premature in that I still have a lot of work to do on the on the building of the foundation, right? Like learning the motions, mm-hmm. learning the commands, learning what text objects are. And so those are all great things. And I will, th- it's outside of the context of this show. We don't have time to talk about all that. And it sounds like these videos will solve that problem for me. But yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. It's like, I, I just feel like there's so much cool stuff that I don't know about. But for you guys, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's how this works. This is how you do that. And I'm yeah. like, still not there yet. And to me, those are the things that make Vim special and what sets it totally. apart from other editors. Like, totally. you know, we can talk about how we set up auto-completion and all that, but most people are coming from editors that already have those features. And so trying to convince them of how you can replicate that functionality in Vim is like, well, mm. why would I do that? Yeah. And so to me, the why is actually the things Vim provides that other IDEs don't, which mm-hmm. is like modal editing is basically like the selling point of Vim for me. What did you say? Modal editing? Modal editing. So like editing with modes. So like oh, you know, mo- you're okay, normally sure. in, in normal mode and you change to insert mode. Um, and like the whole thing of like you're normally in normal mode. Insert mode is... You know, like like you've said on the, um, on previous episodes, you hop into it, do some things, and get out. One analogy I heard for that that 
fits like my brain perfectly is it's like a paintbrush. When you're painting a painting, insert mode is when the paintbrush is actually touching the canvas. But most of the time when you're painting, you're lifting it off the canvas, you're moving it around, you're changing brushes, you're changing paint. All the things when the paint's not on the canvas is normal mode. And it's just, yeah, quick stroke, come off and, you know, do some things before you go ready to do your next stroke. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great um, illustration, I think. That's perfect. That's that's super helpful. And I'm still getting there. Yeah, I find like I'm not automatically pressing escape yet because I I try to jump into Vim whenever I can. Whenever I have something that's a little bit more trivial, uh, like I, I, I don't need to go open up like PHP Storm, I jump into Vim. I try and get into Vim as much as I can. Um, and so I'm getting there, but yeah, I do find that I'm still, you know, I, I stay in insert mode a little too long and then I'm arrowing right around mm-hmm. instead of like, yeah, instead of hitting that escape and then jumping around with the keys. Um, yeah. So one thing you can do is you can bind your arrow keys to do no ops. Oh, interesting. So your arrow <laughs> keys won't even do anything. Kind of and I did that because for a long time I was an arrow key user and I wanted to get the muscle memory of HJKL. So I just no opt the mm-hmm. arrows and forced myself to it it's the a, thing is is once you get used to the arrow keys oh sorry the hjkl keys the next thing is to actually stop using those because there's mm. more efficient movements because ah, those move you one right one direction at a time and holding in a key or pushing it lots of times is a bit of an anti-pattern with them because there's normally a motion that will get you there faster because you can mm. look ahead and see oh, i want to get over to that character over there don't just hold the arrow key until you get there it's use the motion that will get you there yeah yeah that's interesting because i do that sometimes too <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I'll just I, you know i i use 5j a lot <laughs> i think is that five down yeah, or is, yeah. 5j yeah. is better than jjj right right it was so. like yeah. if i if i'm trying to jump through like a log file real quick or 55j mm-hmm. or 55 you know whatever it happens k whatever it happens to be that i need to get to <laughs> if i'm jumping up yeah. the log file really quick but one thing that's actually been interesting too is uh with some of the homework that i did just to get my neo vim stuff set up it does relative uh, relative uh, lines, right? I guess the mm-hmm. relative file yep. lines, right? Which is pretty cool. So I can look and say, oh, that's that's 15 up, right? And I can just 15 yeah. or whatever it is. The uh, only downside of relative line numbers is when you're pairing. Yeah. And someone's like, oh, just go to line. Uh, no, and yeah. because you're moving, that line changes. Moving, yeah. Right. So it's like at that yeah, point, drive, you just kind of jump to the top, right? And then go like 96 and then or whatever. If you're trying to get to like line 96. Uh, Sometimes when I'm pairing with JMac, I'll just go set number and get yeah. rid of the relative numbers. Yeah, set set no rel. I think we'll uh, we'll get rid of them. Nice. nice. It's it's definitely it definitely makes it much easier for for Vimers to move around where you can move relatively to to where your cursor is. I think if you're not experienced with that and like especially when you're pairing and someone's looking and they're trying to say like go to this line, then it, it can be. And I've heard that from from multiple people that it's like. As I said, if you're not used to it, it's it's an adjustment. And I use I didn't use relative line numbers for the longest time. And my my argument was always that it's too much stuff going on. Like sure. I can just see these numbers moving. Yeah, but I get that. Right. You can make them quite dim in in your thing, yeah. such that they're, they're like you can see them if you look at them. But if you're not focusing on them, you don't really notice them. Um, yeah. And so, really, the only thing that stands out is the current line number. So. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of these things that you kind of learn over time, and and as we said last episode, it's not the same for every person. Like different people will respond in different ways, and they'll have different you know mnemonic devices, and and you know something that works for me might not work for you, and 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 whatever else. And and this is where it comes back to like don't just clone someone's dot files. Don't don't just like pick up someone else's stuff that is tuned for them, because that yeah. might not make sense to you. Yeah, we we share it so you can see like what we're doing, but not so that it can be like copied verbatim. 
and like mm-hmm. my dot files have got all these forks and I'm like, why are you forking my dot files? Yeah. I had someone send me a pull request once and whilst generally I appreciate people sending pull requests, That's they're hilarious. like, oh, you know, it'd be better to do this this way. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. These are my dot files. <laughs> if you want, like, don't, this, this indicates to me that you're trying to copy this and, Get off my and just use it and yeah, just yeah. fork it and do your own thing. Okay, so I want to I want to come back to one thing real quick that is very much a, a basic deal before I jump into some of the other stuff that I want to talk about, which is again maybe jumping ahead a bit, but that's okay. Um, window management. So I w- I was talking about window management. I want to talk about you know Michael blew my mind was to get branches last time or something, which I don't even want to get into that. We don't have time for that this episode. Work trees. Not get <laughs> yeah. branches, but like it was that what it was? Get work branches. Trees. Work, yeah, work trees. Work trees. Work trees. That, that I don't I don't have time to get into that. I've I don't can't do that today. So, but but like um, window management, command line. Like, how do I get to like a command? How do I get to like a you know a Z shell? And you know, while I'm in Vim, and then um, didn't you write this down? Isn't it in? Notion? I did, I did, but I have so many notes now. It's like hard to find. Anyway, okay. Here's the one thing I want to talk about before we get into that is leaders. Okay, so leaders again, mm-hmm. just to make sure I understand, in any mode that I'm in. Uh, whether it's insert mode or normal mode or command mode, even I guess maybe probably not command mode. Let's let's say not that. Let's say normal mode or insert mode. I can have like nmap or imaps in my in my Vim config, whatever, right? And so a leader key is just something that allows me to access those mapped keys or commands or whatever. Is that a correct understanding of a, what a leader key is, or is there more to it that I'm missing? So the way I would describe the leader key is it's it's a prefix or a namespace for your own personal mappings. Okay. So Vim comes with all sorts of mappings out of the box. And so if you want to like add your own, it's hard to find like and like if you wanted to keep them mnemonic, it's hard to actually find some mnemonics that aren't already used by something built in in Vim. And I generally don't want to override any of Vim's native stuff. I'd rather like use the defaults where possible. So the leader is really handy as a prefix that you push first. And then whatever you type after that is generally going to be like a free area where you can um, like not have collisions with any other built-in mappings. Mm. So I don't know anyone that would use it in insert mode because <laughs> like unless your leader key is something that doesn't type a character you ever want to type. Yeah, I've, mm. I've never seen a, a seen a leader in insert mode. Um, my leader is space. So having like space in insert mode would be wild because <laughs> I type space right. like, you know, All my, my test nearest is like leader TN, so space TN. I'm probably going to type that in insert mode and not want to run a test. Right, so. sure, right. Mm. Yeah. I think we actually, Michael and I may have done a insert mode like mapping last episode just to be, I don't know, just because I was trying to figure out like if I wanted to, I can't remember if we did that or not, if it was a normal mode mapping. I don't we remember. Did, we did run through a mapping, but I, I think it was a, I think it was just a normal mode mapping to delete a line or a duplicate a line or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. Duplicate a line. Yeah. Yep. So I don't have, mm-hmm. I hardly have any insert mode mappings, but one that I do have that's really interesting and maybe it's a good example of one is if I do... If I type two semicolons or two commas, it will automatically kind of remove those. Well, it won't remove them because the mapping won't ever actually insert them, but it'll basically move the character to the move the cursor to the end of the line and put the semicolon or the mm-hmm. comma there. So I can be anywhere in the middle of a line in insert mode. And this is kind of common if I I'm typing something, I then do open um, you know, open single quotes. It'll automatically put the opening, mm-hmm. the closing single quote after me. So I'm typing. 
if I want to get the comma at the end of that line, instead of going like escape and then dollar sign to get to the end of the line and then append comma, I can just type comma, comma in insert mode Mm -hmm. and it'll do that all automatically for me. Um, And I never normally want to type two commas or two semicolons in insert mode. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's useful, like you say, with, you know, when you're in quotes, uh, anywhere where you're doing like automatic pairing, if you've got like, if you open a a paren or a square bracket or whatever and it and you've got it you've got vim set up to automatically insert the next one but if you're doing like an array and you've got you know a single quote key arrow single quote whatever your cursor is now in the middle of the quote but you need to put the the trailing comma on that array yep the the mapping for you know comma comma will then do that and i saw i was talking to someone i can't remember who and they had set up that mapping so it would set a mark so that oh, it was Eric it would, Johnson. It was Eric, right? Um, where he he set up, so he's got the double comma. It will go to the end of the line, insert the comma, and because it had registered a mark, it would then go back to where the cursor was before that That's insert. Cool. So I, you know, I feel like mostly though, when I do that, I probably want to hit return and go to the next return line. To the next but line, obviously, yeah. I can go escape and then press O to mm-hmm. you know go to the next line anyway. Yeah, so. and then Michael taught me That's about those magic things too. So like an angle bracket return or whatever. So like in your little mappings, you can do that sort of magic, which is pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. do a whole heap of stuff in there. I mean, you can have mappings that that sort of act as a way to shortcut like a several keystrokes to to carry out a motion or something. You could have mappings often are used to to reach plugin methods and things like that um, to bring up autocompletion or to insert a use statement if you've forgotten to do it. For whatever reason, you can go back and grab that and 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 do your insert, all all kinds of things. So yeah, like my tab key, for example, has an insert mode mapping. I didn't have to create it myself because the completion library I'm using maps it for me. But when I push tab in insert mode, it's basically triggering the completion menu if there's anything that can be completed, and to step through the items in the menu. So technically, mm-hmm. that's an insert mode mapping. Ah, mm-hmm. interesting. So so when you have that comma comma, that's an insert mode map. Like, do you do comma IMAP or colon IMAP in your Vim config and then comma comma is like your, is that how that works or is there a different way to map that? Yeah. No, just, yeah, just IMAP, comma, comma, and then whatever the, um, I think it would be like escape, dollar sign, comma would probably be everything mm-hmm. you need. And then maybe you want to go back into insert mode afterwards. So in that case, you don't probably have to not, use though. your leader key, right? Because it's just like, there's no, there's no, nothing that maps to comma, either, comma. Yeah. So you're not going to have to overwrite anything, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's helpful. And like the mappings in insert mode are different from the mappings in normal mode. So even if you had a comma, comma mapping in normal mode, you might have a different one in insert mode. And they'd need to be different because if you're in insert mode, the first thing your mapping needs to do is escape out of insert mode to go to normal mode to jump Mm -hmm. to the end of the line. Whereas if you wanted to do a comma, comma one in normal mode, it's already in normal mode so it can go straight to the end of the line. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay. they're They're like little macros basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are. That's like kind of what I realized when I was doing it with Michael. I was like, oh, you can literally do anything. You can literally do anything in and here. And the thing that's the thing that's great about text objects is like if I delete um, in single quotes and that word is 10 characters long and then I move the cursor somewhere else and the word is, you know, 14 characters long inside the quotes, I can just push the dot to repeat that mm-hmm. and it doesn't go, oh, delete 10 characters. It still goes delete, delete the text the last, object that yeah, I'm do the in. last command, yeah. So when you combine those with mappings as well, it means that you can operate on a text object 
regardless of how long it is. So you don't have to like, mm-hmm. or, you know, only operate on a 10 character wide thing. It's you're describing yeah. the object, the yeah. word, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. That's really, and that's, that's super so cool. useful if you're doing like string replacement, you know, if you're doing a change in word, um, rather than doing like trying to go to the start of the word and then do like CE to, to, to change to the end of the word. And as you say, the, the length of the, the lines might be different. So your cursor ends up in a different place. So you end up missing like the first letter or the, you know, the first two characters of that thing. And so that's where the the word objects are much more useful because you, you're able to operate on that entire word, irrespective of where your cursor happens to land. And you might land outside of it. And then you have to sort of go back a couple of characters. You could do like shift F single quote, if you need to go back to the start of the the thing, the the word and things like that. So there's there's so many different little you know motions that you can that you can use to sort of again it's all about editing text quickly yeah there's one i did really want to talk about because it's not built into vim and i feel like it should be which is it'd be surround.vim right Mm -hmm. where it provides a command that works with text objects to change um the surrounding Mm -hmm. quotes or surrounding parenthesis so I can be inside a quoted word that's quoted in double quotes and I can go CS double quote, single quote, which is basically change surrounding double quotes to single oh, quotes. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like, I want to do that all the time. That's like a really, really common thing that yeah. I do. And because if you combine that with Vim repeat, it makes that option, that uh, action repeatable. So say I've copied like a PHP array definition and I want to turn it into a JSON one. I want to really quickly turn all the single quotes to double quotes. I can go CS double quote single quote uh, CS single quote double quote, and then just move down and just keep hitting dot and basically replace all of them. There's obviously other ways to do that option, but mm-hmm. on a small thing, it's kind of nice to be able to just repeat that action. Um, so to me, yeah, surround.vim and repeat.vim. I don't know why they aren't actually like in Vim by <laughs> default because they. It's one of the plugins that to me feels like it really honors the Vim like philosophy of how things work with text mm-hmm. objects and all that sort of stuff. Surround. Yeah, I can't get away. I can't get around. Vim repeat Vim two new plugins. I need to install. <laughs> and you'll, you'll also, it's kind of unrelated, I guess, but you'll need a comment plugin. Cause like Vim doesn't come with a way to comment code out of the box, mm-hmm. which to me is weird. Like you can obviously use visual block mode and like select down sure, the whole sure. thing and put them in, but that's pretty janky to use. Yeah. Yeah. So I use one called Vim Commentary, which is also made by T Pope, who made the other ones. And it mm-hmm. gives you text objects and commands to kind of describe commented things. So I can just go GCC and comment a whole line, all that sort nice. of stuff. Nice, T Pope. Mm-hmm. I got it. I got it all written down. Okay, folks. So here's where we're at. <sighs> Window management, which I don't know if that's the correct term for it. And um, I'm also interested in like project management as well. So maybe we should start at that level. So let's say that you have a brand new project that you're pulling down. I've created a new, um, I've created a new site that I want your guys help on and it's called lumen.industries. And uh, <laughs> I want to hide some Easter eggs in this thing. So you guys, you guys are going to pull down this code. So you pulled on the code, you've got it into a location, into a folder, whatever. Do you make that into like a project? Like when you're going to go into that, like I obviously probably depends, but this is going to be a long-term project you're going to be working on. For me, if I'm coming from PHP Storm, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to open it in PHP Storm. And then I'm going to, um, it's going to ask me like, is this, you know, is this like a project? Like where is the root location? Is there anything you want to exclude from what we're going to be indexing and all that stuff? 
you know, do you guys have, and then, and then once I do that, it saves it as like, what do you want to name this project? And like, I want to name this project Lumen. Okay. So then the next time I open PHP Storm, I've got a list of projects that I can select from. I want to open Lumen, right? And it's going to come right back to where I was at the last time I was in there. It's going to have everything open exactly how it was, right? How does that work for you guys? What is, what is your process for that? Do you, do you have a concept of projects? What does it look like for you, Jess? Uh, so I think there are ways of doing this sort of thing in Vim itself. But for me, I don't kind of use Vim in that way. I use Tmux to handle the project side of things. Okay. Um, because often I've got other tools open that aren't Vim that are still related to that project. Yep. So Tmux can have sessions. Sure. So I basically have one session per project. And a session is effectively just a group of tabs, um, which are windows i think in tmux speak but effectively think of them as tabs so i can switch between different sessions and have a whole new set of tabs open and one of those will be vim another one might be artisan serve or sale up another one might be um like a psql to connect to the database and one might be tailing a log file and so i can quickly switch between different projects and have all their things still open like down the bottom in order to get to those projects because there's there is a thing called Tmuxinator that um, Michael mentioned, I think, last episode, where you can kind of, you can set up some defaults of like where things live and you create like mm-hmm. a little YAML file that has the root directory and what windows you want to open by default. I don't tend to go that far with it. I've got um, some mappings in Tmux for common projects I use. So I, the uh, Tmux has a thing like a leader key. I think they call it the prefix mm-hmm. key. And I think mine's like control space. So okay. it's like mine's like control space, B, I think. Like, what is control control default, space. Maybe. Yeah. The default, yeah, that's yeah. the default. Yeah. So I have some that are like, you know, control space. And then I just do shift Q. Like basically all the letters across the top of my keyboard will go to different projects. Interesting. And it'll basically open a brand new Tmux session in that directory. Um, but I don't have it automatically open a whole bunch of tabs and apps for me. I kind of I don't mind going sail up and then open up another tab and go Vim. Mm-hmm. Um I also have, and this was kind of thanks to the the Primogen, a mapping that I think it's like control space F and it'll open up a fuzzy finder that's set in my code directory, like the root directory where all my code projects are. And so I can type the name of a project that I don't use very often so I don't have a mapping for it and hit enter and then it'll open a Tmux session in that directory. And I don't have my Tmux session so they survive a reboot. I know you can get like, like resurrect or something that will kind of yeah. save those sessions. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like if sometimes I accidentally close terminals, don't know how it happens, but with Tmux, mm-hmm. I just open the terminal, type Tmux again, and I'm back where I was, which is nice. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, so that's your, your sessions yeah, that's just continue to live in the background then. So like if you've had, you know, if you haven't restarted your computer in a week, you have like mm-hmm. 15 Tmux sessions open in the background. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go and kill them because like they might all have like Docker processes running. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't need like one database for every project kind of thing. So it's going to, it's going to slow things down. The thing with the mappings I've got and also that fuzzy finder is that if the session's not already open, it will create it. But if the session already is open, it'll switch switch to it. So, and I really like that mental model of, I don't care whether something's open or not. I just want to get to it and have it solve the rest. It's the same with like an application switcher. Uh, mm-hmm. So in Linux, I've got like a little thing that'll do a fuzzy find of applications. It, you like just switch, the, you choose the application. Almost, yeah. yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it'll, it kind of does the work of going, this is already open. I'll switch to that versus this isn't open. I'll open it and then switch to it. So when you, um, so when you open, so like, what do you use for your terminal? You use like iTerm or you use like Hyper or what do you use? 
Uh, so I'm on Linux. Uh, so I use one called Kitty. Ah, um, yes, Kitty, kind of, of course. Yes. Yeah. So like the TTY Terminal. on the end, because like terminals are like a, a TTY. So it's K-I, yeah, TTY. Of course, all us Linux people know about Kitty. Uh, come on. <laughs> I, I mean. I'm I'm pretty sure Mac has Kitty. I think well. it runs on Mac as well. Oh, yeah. uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah of I course, think Tim Kitty. McDonald uses yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, Tim <laughs> McDonald uses it. So I was trying it's to. I'm just trying to act it, smarter than I am, Jess. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I think I think the appeal of it. There's a few things. It uses like the GPU to render. Oh, so oh it's, that is like, actually faster. pretty awesome. Yeah, and it supports like font ligatures and you know custom line heights and all that. So it's oh, very nice. I mean, I'm sure iTerm does the same, but on Linux, mm. I don't have. See, that's that's there. part of the crazy part of this whole thing is it's like, and I'll, I'm going to jump back to like the whole Tmux thing. Here's my question, so I can get it out. Um, which is, um, when you open a shell, does it automatically open Tmux? That's my first question. Okay, second thing I was going to say. That's my question, so I don't forget it. Um, but <laughs> it is crazy to me that like you know you have like five different tools. It's like Tmux is like what's handling my projects, and then it's like I'm using. Command shift space, which is a Tmux thing, or command space F, which is like a Tmux thing, which is looking through my directories. And then once I open my Tmux session, then I'm opening Vim over here, which is just for the editing portion of it. But then I've got also a like a Z shell window over here that's running serve. And then I've got a you know another one that's running, you know, I don't know. It's just I mean, the funny thing is I do the same thing. Like I'm running table plus to get to my database, right? And I'm yeah. using like a PHP monitor to switch between versions of PHP. And, but it's just like for me in my brain, my term, it's like my terminal is doing one thing. Right. And so for me, like switching from that's, that's my headspace. I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to be in the terminal, I'm going to be in Vim. How do I replicate all the things I do in my current editor? It's like, no, no, Vim's not supposed to do all those things. It's just, it's mm. just the editor, right? That's, yeah. that's all it's supposed to do. And it's like all that other stuff you're talking about are other tools. So it's like, you're just going to glue the pieces together. Right? You've got this little, you know, these Legos, you're going to just stack them up together to kind of get that same functionality. So, um, yeah, so that's interesting. Okay, so Tmux, when you when you open Kitty, does that automatically launch a Tmux session? Because uh, if you're doing like command or control space F, you're only doing that inside a Tmux session. Or are you getting into Kitty and then typing Tmux and then control space F? Or what is it? How, how does that work for you? So I don't have it automatically open Tmux. I normally only have one terminal session running on my computer at a time, but there are occasionally times where I want to open it up to i don't know install some system updates or something i just want a quick dedicated terminal for that so i kind of prefer it just dropping me to a shell um in order to get into tmux i would normally type i've got an alias called t which runs that same fuzzy finder um but i also normally have one tmux session that i just call jess it's basically my generic tmux session and i've just got a few system related things they're not related to a project the things that like handle my webcam uh, because i've got like a dslr that you know, is is a virtual webcam. So there's a little bit of software I need to run for that. So I have so one like, always main running in the session background. that I yeah, always sure. have. Yeah. So I normally just kick that session off when I first boot the computer. That's like the main session. And then every other one is a project one. Interesting. So you say so, you, run, you run, you press T and that just does that command shift space or it opens Tmux and then press command shift. I keep saying command shift space. Command space F. It, it just does that short for Yeah. You. So it's, yeah, so T is just an alias that runs the script. So it's T, enter. It's about like a command, right? You're just typing T, enter, and it'll then open that fuzzy finder. But for the most part, I just am starting, I'm normally starting a Tmux session, like my my little base one. And from that point on, every time I type Tmux, it just drops me into that. But I normally only ever have one terminal, so one kind of one window into yep. Tmux, mm-hmm. and then the multiple mm-hmm. sessions inside there. And to make things really quick, like I normally only have one browser window as well, right? So I've got on my machine 
the the super key or the the windows key or whatever you want to call that key if i do that and one it'll take me to the terminal so like super one is terminal super two is browser nice and most of my life is then just switching between those two windows so i just Mm -hmm. use that to quickly switch between them and it's a similar thing if the terminal's not open super one will open the terminal it'll open my main terminal and get me there similar for the browser and I'm just switching between those. And then once I'm in the terminal, I'm then switching between TMUX sessions and inside those, switching between tabs. And then inside the tabs, maybe even switching between um, Vim panes. Okay. So Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> how about for you, Michael? Is that similar to your story or what is how do, how do you usually handle projects? Uh, so mine's a little bit different to the way that Jess has it set up. So I've got iTerm running on a Mac. And my Z shell is configured to basically every time it opens a new session, it will see, am I running inside Tmux? And if not, it will start a session. If a session exists, it will reattach to it. Uh, if it doesn't, then it will start a new one. So it, I've, I've always, I'm always, always in, in Tmux land. Tmux. Yeah. And that's, and that's largely because like, again, if I accidentally close iTerm, like I want to be able to get back to where I was without having to go and restart everything sure. and set it all up and, and whatever else. So it's always there. And I've got no hesitations then in just, killing iterm like if i want to restart for an update i know that if i close it and reopen i can get back to where i was before i did that um and then in terms of projects i don't i don't really do projects in the way that i think you you would do it within php storm i have in in z show you can set like a cd path and what that does is it appends directory so when you type uh, a directory name it knows if it doesn't see that directory where you are currently in your current working directory, it will then go and cycle through your CD paths to see does this directory exist there. So I have in my home directory a directory called code. And inside of that code directory, I have like one directory for every project that yep, I've got. Same there. You know, so there's like then ping me's there or I've got uh, work stuff in there or whatever. And so I can just type then ping me from anywhere in any directory and it'll find it and it'll take me straight to that directory. Nice. So it's that like then ping me um nvm enter and i'm and i'm into it um and then for for me i keep one session for each project in tmux and then i've always got access to everything and i can just switch between them so i've got um control control a a prefix j i think uh set up and then that will show me all of the running sessions with a fuzzy finder and then i can just jump between them um and and you know that's just a really quick way of having like all of my stuff accessible that i'm going to be moving between I used to have like Windows, so I'd have like one session open and then jump between Windows and have them named for the project. But I think it was it was uh, Jose Jose Soto who who sort of took me down the path of of doing it this way, where it's like one one session per thing, and then you can have like one window has got Vim in it uh, that might have some splits, Tmux splits set up to to run like npm run serve or uh, lazy git or whatever. And then you might, or you might have that in a separate window. You know, you might just put that out of the way so you don't have to look at it um, while it's going. But I've, I've, I've almost always got two splits open. One is like three quarters Vim, and, and then these I have are like Tmux one... splits, not Vim splits. To be clear, these are Tmux right? splits. Yeah. And so those yep. are different. I mean, those are different key mappings to say like this is how I do a Tmux split versus how I do a Vim split because you can do both, right? You mm-hmm. could do, yeah, you can do a Vim split or you can do like a Tmux split. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I have a plugin that creates a mapping to switch between the splits, but it will also work inside Vim. So I can just use, I think, control and then HJKL. Oh, nice. And it kind of automatically knows whether I, whether the next window is a Tmux one or a, win, a Vim one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a Chris Toomey plugin. It and is a Chris Toomey like, one, yeah. I think you need like 
part of it in Tmux and part of it in Vim. Mm-hmm. So it can kind of, yep. they work together. But it makes that whole um, window, you know, traversing kind of a lot more seamless. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to tell yeah. ever, like, which one is which? I mean, maybe not. Not really. Because you kind of know if you're looking at the Vim ones. Um, yeah, it's like the, the window tell, board like, is a slightly different. The board is a slightly different, yeah. Yeah. Tmux will, will highlight like the active pane as well. So it's easy to to sort of tell. But I've I've always got sort of Vim in a three-quarter split. And then so there'll be like Vim in three quarters and then the, the other column, the other quarter will be usually unit test. So when I'm running tests, it'll it uses the split and does the the running of tests there. So interesting. Then, that was what I was gonna ask next, actually. Is like so when you run your T N, right? Test nearest or whatever, mm-hmm. does it does it pipe that output to that Tmux window over there then? How does it know to do that? Yep. So it's it's part of the Vim test plugin. So it gives uh, you a number of different test plugin. strategies. So you can say <laughs> you can say like uh do you want to use uh, flow term or do you want to use the built-in terminal in NeoVim or do you want to open like a split or a new buffer or do you want to send it to a Tmux pane? So ah, I've got it set to a Tmux Very pane. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so it will, if it, if it, if there isn't a split open, it will open the split and then send the output there. So it'll take the PHP unit command and run it. Um, it's a bit odd sometimes in that it will mostly always send. <laughs> the PHP unit command to the right or to the pane that you're expecting. But sometimes like I might have Tinker open and it's it like sends it to the Tinker thing. And, yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like, or or I've got like a PHP file open in Vim in another split because I was looking at something else and suddenly I've got like all of this stuff just pasted in there. So um, it it works 99% of the time, but that's something to be aware of for new players. Okay, that um, makes it's sense. It's a minor so, inconvenience. So with the Vim test um, plugin, yeah. you can specify like which sort of place you want to send it. Because that was, that was another thing for me yeah. is it's like, okay, so if I'm in Vim and I have this mapping where I'm saying TN for test nearest, is that opening a new split in Vim? Or is it opening something in Tmux? But that helps to explain it for me. Yeah, whatever you can figure. Yeah, the three things that I typically have, like when I'm in PHP Storm, there's four. Number one, sidebar now i don't use it often right i'm typically like fuzzy searching through my files in my project which i'm sure is another vim plugin guys right am i right here yep yeah. yep okay so Tell, vim telescope plugin. oh actually depending on on your flavor of vim like if you're using neo vim that you've got telescope so that's kind of built in okay so telescope um i have like one that's like control p or something like that and it fuzzy searches mm-hmm. through my, okay so there's the, I have I have a sidebar which I sometimes look at like depending on how far I, need, I sometimes I just need to see like I want to see my sidebar over here okay there's that so there's that's one thing if I press like command zero that gets me just to like a drops me in a shell right so I can do whatever I want from there um, mm-hmm. so I can run you know like npm run prod or whatever right or npm install or composer install or composer update or composer require or whatever right so it drops me in the shell so that's one if I press command nine. It shows me here's the current state of your working branch, right? Here's all of your files that have been modified. Uh, I can see the modifications that have been made on each one of them. You know, it's like Git diff, right? But it's just like a little, it's, an if, it's a new little pane, right? You could call it a split. And then I have um, Control Shift R, which runs my nearest test, and that opens in a new little split as well, right? So essentially, those are the sort of things I, I have to solve. I'm guessing Vim, I'm guessing my my sidebar, my like uh, directory navigation is, is probably mm-hmm. going to happen in Vim if I wanted to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's probably yeah. not so a Michael, sidebar. Yeah. It's probably not going to be a sidebar. It's probably going to be a full screen thing or what? It can be a sidebar. I know. Uh, yeah, it can be. I know Michael's very anti anti the sidebar. Just what do you I think? I have a sidebar. You have a sidebar? I, know, okay. I, I have one called, I think, NVIM Tree. Okay. I don't use it very often, but there are times where I do kind of like having a sidebar. Um, so, yeah, I don't have it open by default. I kind of toggle it on and then toggle it off whenever on the few chances, like the few occasions I need it. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, let's tra- dropping into a shell. That's just going to be handled in Tmux, and that's just going to be a Tmux split, right? You're just going to have a mm-hmm. another split below or whatever, and you can close that pane if you want to. You don't need it anymore because, like for me, I just do a command zero, and it pops open a new split basically, and it's in the bottom of my screen. And mm-hmm. as soon as I'm done with that, I press command zero, and it turns it off, right? It takes it out. You guys do something similar in Tmux? Yep. Yeah. So I've just got a for for that to open up the. I mean, I've always got a pane available. Which is just in the shell, uh, so I can I've got prefix, uh, prefix backslash and prefix hyphen set up to open a vertical or a horizontal split, respectively. Um, and so I can just if I don't have one open, I can just run that and it'll it'll go and pop open a new split for me and and drops the cursor, so it opens the split and it puts the cursor there ready to go. So I'm I'm in a in a shell already, and and that's nice and easy for for Git. I usually have lazy git running in a pane as well so i can just like jump over to that i do have a keyboard mapping though which is prefix g which is a a tmux one which will open a new tmux split in the current working directory and open lazy git that makes sense that's what i would want yeah something like that yeah, current working um, directory and then and and then i can close that and it will just close that split straight away yep right so you just do the same prefix that you did and it just closes it Yep. That's what I would want. I would want something exactly like that. Like if I type this particular Tmux shortcut, I want it to do this particular, I want it to open up this git diff for me over here, right? Or if mm-hmm. I run this particular can, which you, had, you said prefix slash or whatever, give me a new, give me a new session, right? Or, or give me a new split with just drop me in a shell. Um, yep. What was the other one we said? So like test, test output. Um, I suppose you could probably have it do the same thing. Although I'm not exactly sure how you would do that. If you did test nearest, if you don't have that Tmux pane open, it will create one for you. It would automatically create one for you if you didn't have one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So I mine's a little bit different. I tend to run Vim like in the like I don't I don't normally split Tmux very often, so I have Vim running like in a full Tmux window, and I use Float Term, which is a Vim plugin that will open like a like a floating terminal in the middle of the screen. Ooh. It's not like actually floating; it just kind of looks like it. Mm-hmm. And so and I have that a- bound to just F F one. Um, it's not actually a separate terminal window either, right? It's just like a modal almost inside of your window. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's all controlled by Vim, but it opens up in my shell, so it drops down to you know Z shell, and so that's where I I don't tend to use like any Git um, GUI um, like even command line ones. I would like to look into them, but I mostly just use command line Git. So I just push F one, open up my float term. I have it set to take up most of the window, but it just leaves a little bit around the edges for context. I run my git commands from there, but I also have my test, um, like my test commands also will pop that into that floating terminal. It'll automatically mm-hmm. open it and run them in there. And so I can quickly just hide and show it with F1. My screen's not massive, so that's probably why I don't like have a lot of splits. And mm-hmm. I normally like to open two code um, document side by side so like normally test and implementation yeah so i do that too um, yeah and i've got some uh and you like just do that with that vim automatically splits, right? yeah yeah i just use that with vim splits and i've got a plugin that will automatically kind of work out 
what the test file is for a particular uh, implementation. So if I'm in a controller, I can do capital AV, which like the A is the alternate file and V means in a vertical split. So it'll go and find the test for that controller automatically and open it side by side that's in handy. a split. Yeah, that's really nice actually. Oh, it's so cool. And so having those two windows open doesn't really leave me, leave me any space on my little screen yep. to also mm-hmm. have a sidebar with um, tests and other things. It's funny because I have like a freaking massive ultra wide, but I still don't like to do more than like... You know, I, I don't like to do more than like a side by side heads up. That's it. You know, I just want to see them both like and that's it. And then if I need to run my my tests, I will. Otherwise, hide it like I don't want to see it right now. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, that's I will cool. often have I often have like three or four splits open. I couldn't even tell you. I suppose if I'm jumping between like related files, so I'll have a controller open, but I'll also have like some action class or service class or something. You know, I'll usually have three. If I need four, then I'll, I can, you can do a zoom in, in Tmux. So that three quarters suddenly becomes the full, the full width of the screen. Oh, nice. Um, I, I did try flow term for like tests and things like that. I found it, I don't know what it was. It just didn't gel with me, but I do like using it when I'm doing tests in a screencast because you kind of want to be as efficient as possible with what little screen real estate you have in that regard. So being able to have the test the test app will kind of pop up in the middle of the screen. And also for people who aren't familiar with, you know, using Vim and all of these things like popping up and appearing and disappearing and things like that, it's more obvious when the test output is like right in the middle of the screen on top of the code as opposed to like it's appearing over on the side there now. So Yeah. And that's a good point because I spend most of my day pairing with Tim McDonald and so we are often screen sharing and... I think that's like the key, right? Is like having the text a bit larger and not having like too many windows really wide. So mm-hmm. my screen's not as big. So I'm trying to do more with less space. Yeah. Stacks. Stacks. Yeah. That's super helpful. In terms of float term, one other thing I do is when I run the test, I pipe it through the Linux command or the just the command called less, which means that it doesn't scroll to the bottom of the test. It actually mm, keeps me at the, the top. top of the test. That's smart. Which is really helpful because I normally want to see like the exception yeah. that's thrown, not the bottom of yeah. the stack trace. Especially when you get the stack trace. Oh, <laughs> line 475,000 of Illuminate. Yeah, I found I was just like always wanting to go to the top of the test. So I'm like, mm-hmm. well, if I just run it through less, which is like basically a pager, it'll keep it at the top automatically. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I would love to keep talking about this for like another hour and a half, but we are at an hour and 11 minutes. So I think we're going to wrap mm-hmm. this one up. Uh, let, so. me, let me give a quick summary for myself. So... Um, you know, for me, one of the things that I really need to do is I need to go back and watch some of these videos that Jess and Michael have talked about to really get a solid foundation under my feet with these movements. Mm-hmm. And I love this idea. I, I now have a vocabulary for this idea of text objects, right? Before it was like a yep. word, paragraph, whatever. No, it's like text object is a great way to think about it because there's so much, you know, if you use the if you use word, there's no idea in your head of this uh, concept of a paragraph. But like when you say text object, it sort of includes those pieces, right? And it could include mm-hmm. just the pieces between a set of braces or whatever. That's a text object. So I love that. I, that was that was huge for me. You can also get plugins that will add additional text objects. Oh, really? That are kind oh, of more language so specific. Cool. Yeah. Oh, genius! Yeah. So like you could have a text object of like a actual method, maybe like that could be a text yeah. object. Yeah, or like. Yeah, an attribute in HTML. So I can like delete 
a whole attribute like you know class equals See? open quotes and then the thing i can delete the whole thing with one one yeah, command that's beautiful nice. that's i love that so that's a brand new concept in my brain now like it was never there before yeah. so like i love that it's yeah, super you, helpful like changing changing inside of of tags is i think yeah. changing in and around tags so delete in the tag and delete including the tag i think that's i think that's vim native but if you wanted to like change attributes in a tag yeah if you want to change like the get rid of the alt tag or change the alt tag i think Mm -hmm. you need the plugin for that and vim surround also lets you change say you want to change like a div to a span Mm -hmm. you can go cst so change Mm -hmm. surrounding tag and type in the word div and it'll automatically go and change the opening and the closing one Mm-hmm. to a span Beautiful. or a yes. div or and, whatever you're and it'll preserve into. any attributes if you had attributes so if you as you say if you're changing a span to a div and you were to do like cst um left arrow div and press enter then it would just change the span to a div and the closing one but if you were to do like div um space class whatever it will then replace what you had there before with with the whatever you've given it as a replacement so all of these kinds of things that, you know, yeah, you can you can do it in other editors, but again, it all comes down to Vim is made for editing text quickly and efficiently, and so all of these things all add up to like lots of lots and lots of save time over yep. the course of your programming existence. Yeah. So text objects is new. Uh, I think I got a little bit more clarification on a leader. Uh, I think, and you guys even said this maybe the last show, Michael, but I think it clicked a little bit better for me when uh, we talked about it as like a namespace to avoid collisions. So mm-hmm. it's basically giving you a brand new canvas to sort of map all of your own stuff onto so that you're not colliding with any native Vim mappings, right? So, you know, comma or space, and then it's like, okay, now the world's your playground. You could do whatever you want now that you're kind of in your, in your own little world here. Mm-hmm. Um, then sort of the this idea of how you guys manage projects so it seems like, you know, there's a hundred different ways to do it, but the consensus is that Tmux is the thing that you're going to want to do to do that, right? So Tmux is its own program. It's got its own set of shortcuts, its own set of bindings, and you could do all sorts of magic in Tmux as well, because there's lots of plugins for that too. Actually being able to map things uh, between Vim and Tmux, like pushing output from Vim over to Tmux, that's pretty cool that you can do that. Or being able to navigate mm-hmm. between windows without having to use separate commands to go between a Vim split and a Tmux split. That's pretty awesome because that was like, how do you do that? I've, you know, previously has mentioned things like Vim Obsession or uh, not Vim Obsession. Is it Vim Obsession? Yes, it is Vim Obsession. Yeah, Vim Obsession, obsession yeah. and then Tmuxinator or Tmux Resurrection or whatever, Tmux Resurrect. Mm-hmm. These ideas of like these persistent projects that you can have um, or even like YAML files, which will sort of define what's included in some of these Tmux sessions is is interesting. It's something that I would possibly look into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all of that stuff gives me lots of homework to do and helps to add a lot of clarity around how it is that you guys are working inside your environments and gives me some good stuff to chase down until we meet next time. So that's super helpful. Thank you guys very much for being patient and explaining some of that to me. Hopefully it's uh, helpful not just to me, but to other people who are maybe also trying to learn some of this stuff too. You're very welcome. Yeah, Awesome. Well, this is episode 114. Is that right, Michael? 115. 115. 115. 115. Uh, thanks again, Jess, for joining us. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at, no, hold on, northmeetsouth.audio <laughs> slash 115. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, if you have any questions or comments at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Jess Archer. 
I'm just kidding. Is that what it is, Jess? Is it Jess Archer? <laughs> Jess Archer Codes. Jess Archer Codes. Jess Archer Codes. Okay, I knew it was something else on the end of there. I couldn't remember. <laughs> Jess Archer Codes. And uh, the worst Australian accent ever. <laughs> Congrats again, Jess, on your position at Laravel. So stoked for you. Well-deserved. Thank uh, you. You've been an awesome member of the Laravel community for a long time. So really excited that uh, you're going to be joining the team there. I'm sure lots of good things uh, for the future. And best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Hey, last thing before we go. Jess, we always like to give a quick thanks to people who come on by allowing them to say, hey, this is something I want to plug. Do you have anything that you'd like the people, all 10 of them listening, to know about something that you're plugging or anything you're selling or anything that you're working on, any courses or cool stuff that you're doing? Anything you want to plug? Uh, Only like Laravel Shift Workbench would probably be the kind of the main thing I work on. So I teamed up with JMac to create the Workbench that kind of is like this really opinionated refactoring tool for PHP. It's pretty sweet. So, yeah. I'm glad to know that, Jess, because we are getting ready to go into Workbench land just in in a very, very near future. We just shifted everything to Laravel 9. No, nope. Take that back. We we shifted everything to PHP 8, and we are on our way to Laravel 9. So everything, I say shifted, <laughs> not shifted. We upgraded everything to, to PHP uh, eight, and we are now on the train to get to Laravel nine. But in the meantime, while we're doing those shifts, we're going to go ahead and do a bunch of other crazy stuff too, and just put that workbench through its paces. So I'll let mm-hmm. you know if, awesome. if anything doesn't work. I will. Uh, I will be in your in your Telegram. Cool. All right. It sounds good. All right, Michael. I love workbench. Workbench. Look, workbench is the only reason that I have Docker installed on my computer. I actually was going to install Docker, go. but then I was like, I'm just going to use the web version of it. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So. No worries. Yep. Okay, friends. Perfect. Thanks so much, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. See ya.